Welcome to this episode of Temple Beth Am's Are You Coming Back? Personal candid conversations with Jewish thought leaders across the country on the future of Jewish practice. Hosted by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. If you don't know Carrie Bornstein, you've probably heard of the place where she serves as executive director, Maim Chaim, Living Waters Community Mikvah and Education Center near Newton, Massachusetts. Or maybe you've heard her on a panel representing the Rising Tide Open Waters Mikvah Network. Maybe you've encountered her voice as a moderator of the Facebook group, Mental Health in the Jewish Community. Or maybe you read her smart, candid, heartfelt piece, Kids' Mental Health Can't Be an Afterthought. Carrie's such a bright light in the Jewish professional world, and I couldn't wait to sit down with her and hear more about the past, current, and future chapters of her Jewish practice and life with family in quarantine. I enjoyed every minute of our conversation on our way to the ultimate question, are you coming back? I'm really excited to welcome into conversation today, Carrie Bornstein, who is the executive director of Maim Chaim, Living Waters Community Mikvah and Education Center. And she lives in Sharon, Massachusetts. Uh, but we might as well be anywhere because we're here having this conversation from respective home offices. And I want to thank you so much, Carrie, for joining me in conversation today. Totally a pleasure. Thank you for having me. As you know, we're having conversations with Jewish thought leaders and organizational leaders across the country about the kinds of things that we wish we could ask our congregants, but maybe we're not ready just yet as clergy, either ready to ask the question or ready to hear the answer. Um, But I know that you think about the future of Jewish communal life professionally, and I'm interested today, and I thank you in advance for taking a deep dive from a personal lens. Um, but of course, we never take off those uh, those professional hats when we're diving into our personal stuff. Um, and so I'll ask you and invite you to bring that into the conversation as well. We're looking to a future world that is going to be recognizable, but also recognizably different than the one before. And in order to kind of go into what you think your Jewish life might look like actively, once we're able to re-engage in person much more than we can now, I wonder if you could take me back like a year to 2019, Carrie, or Carrie and family, kind of give me a picture of what Shabbat morning or holidays or spiritual gathering looked like at that time. Give me a sense of the sights and the sounds um, that characterized what life looked like before this all began. Yeah, so it's hard to remember what life was like before this all began. Um, you know, in terms of, of thinking about our uh, our Shabbat life in particular, um, there it's it's really ranged. Um, it's been, um, you know, we've we've ranged the gamut from um, you know really engaged, uh, involved. Jewish life and on a super active basis. I mean, this is going back now farther than 2019, more like pre-kid time. Um, and when our oldest was, you know, a year or two years old and um, we were, that was probably the height of our Jewish engagement when things were at their best. Um, and sometimes parenting and organized Jewish life particularly on Shabbat, don't necessarily go together so easily. So um, that's that's just a, a challenge that we've felt our whole 
parenting career just about. Um, but I would say, you know, 2019 us was, uh, was a, a mix of going to shul sometimes uh, at, at an actual structure of a shul and sometimes going to shul on our couch and, um, you know, sitting, sitting at home on, on Shabbat morning and really relaxing and taking it easy and um, pretty, pretty split, you know, on eating at home, meals at home, meals with friends, our place when we could get our act together to do it, other, you know, other people's places when, uh, when that invitation would come, uh, you know, sort of on, ongoing engagements, but um, a little mix of things as well. Was synagogue life a part of that for you, even beyond like Shabbat or holidays? Was that something that you engaged with personally or with your family? Um, not as much. It, there, there have been times when we have been more involved. We moved to Sharon when, when our oldest was a year and a half. Uh, we we had been living in a one bedroom condo in closer to uh, near Brookline uh, in in the Boston area and um, we, we needed to expand we had this this kid like in our bedroom and in the living room and it was it was enough already mm-hmm. so we started looking around for for other places we could live we desperately wanted to stay in Brookline and uh, the allure of having a house with a yard and a driveway and laundry in our house. You know, it was just, uh, it, it was a very strong pull when we started comparing prices um, and knowing that we could get that for the same amount as we could get a two bedroom apartment somewhere without parking. And, you know, so, um, so part of the reason why we came here is because there were so many different shuls. Um, we didn't, I think there's like seven or eight different shuls in this one little suburban town um, and and multiple within walking distance also. So we felt like this was a place, even, even though we didn't necessarily feel like any one of them was going to be our home, we felt like we had options and that felt comfortable. So um, we came here and um, we were part of one show for a while and then we went to another show for a while and um, we started an independent minion on our own at one point. Um, and then I became the executive director of my Chaim and had a little bit less time available to me to do things like that. Um, so we've, we've kind of gone, gone around the beaten path a bit. Um, so we've definitely been involved, but it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been, I would say spiritually fulfilling in the way that it was when we were uh, a part of the Washington Square Minion in Brookline, and and really felt like we were with our our people and our community, and and inspired by what was going on there. Um, and we've actually gone every year since we moved here. We've gone back to Brookline for the Chagim um, to to be there for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and just um, feel like that is where we need to be. It sounds like, particularly for for Shabbat more than the Yamim Noraim, it sounds like you had a lot of options uh, before. Like you chose a, a home and a community where you could pick different things. Like one Shabbat could be one flavor and another another could be at somebody's home or at your home. Um, I think that might be a good pivot point to ask if that shifted, if that feeling of what you could do on Shabbat shifted starting in March and when the pandemic began, uh, do you feel like you still have options for Shabbat or did it change radically? Um, 
No. Well, I mean, no, but yes, I, I think the, you know, the biggest difference honestly feels like um, for me that, that we're choosing an option that's actually most comfortable for us, which is not to go anywhere, which is so sad, right? Like I'm, I, uh, it's, it's sad to say that and to know that. And at the same time, it's, there's something that's been freeing actually about letting go of the guilt associated with, oh, we haven't been to Shul in so long. We really should get there. Um, you know, like our daughter's bar, bat mitzvah was coming up and like, how is she ever going to know anything if we're not making this a regular part of our world? And, you know, not just for, for that sake, for teaching her, but like we want this to be a regular part of our family life for its own sake. Um, and knowing that even in the best of times, like I alluded to before, there's a lot about synagogue life that um, as, a, as a parent of three young children is just really challenging. I suspect it's challenging for everyone. Um, our children in particular are, um, it's just not so conducive to um, to show life. They, they are like, they have tons of energy. They need to be moving and talking and eating like all the time. Um, and I think we have sort of an aversion to the children's services, you know, tot Shabbat kinds of things feeling like, we just really want the main shoal to be a place that welcomes kids for who they are. And it's like, we're maybe a little bit too principled about it, but um, really don't like the idea of shuttling them off into a separate room where they're like not even necessarily learning so much there anyway. Um, and, you know, it's, that's, that's tricky because um it's just, it hasn't been so conducive. There were times, you know, um, in the last, um, I guess, you know, a little less than two years ago now where, you know, we went, we went to Shoal right after uh, the Pittsburgh attacks. And, um, and that was just such a powerful experience for me, especially at a time where we weren't going to Shoal tons and we felt like we need to go to Shoal. We are going to Shoal that next Shabbat. And, um, and just feeling like that was where we were supposed to be and didn't necessarily, you know, our kids have a lot of um, struggles with anxiety and various other <laughs> forms of challenges. And um, rightly so, it was being talked about from the Bima. And it's like, what's that like when the kids are hearing that and exposed to that? And, you know, it's not just that piece of things, but it's also, you know, to be a Jew is not to be exposed to all of the happy light topics on a regular basis during sermons. It's, it's a typical usual thing that there's going to be something deeply troubling that we're talking about from the Bima. Um, and that's an element of things too, that I think just over time has made it difficult for us to engage in, in synagogue life. I remember that first Shabbat when people were told not to come to shul it was about the second or third weekend in March and people were told to stay home for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking then about the contrast of the show up to shul for the weekend after Pittsburgh hmm. and yeah. how we were asking people not, not to come to shul. But in my mind's eye, I can picture that I was talking to a bat mitzvah and her family. There were actually two benot mitzvah in different services in our building that day. And I remember thinking, 
oh, this is going to be really hard for families with B'nai Mitzvah in this next realm, like knowing that already. And I know that you think deeply about this because I know Myheim as an educational center actually engages on a really large scale with families that are dealing with, with Bar Bat Mitzvah. So I'll give you the freedom to talk about this either as a parent of a, yeah. of a Bar Bat Mitzvah age kid or from a professional lens. You know, what, what does this mean right now? To be told specifically to not come to show. Yeah, yeah, to be in an era, well, I guess to dig deeper, to be in an era where whatever your choice was beforehand, coming to shul is not what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so now that experiential part of education, that part where you talk about yearning for your kids sitting by your side, even when it's uncomfortable right. to listen to the content of that sermon and to know it might be a challenge for them, you know yeah. what a critical part that can be of their experience leading up into to the adult experience of yes. claiming the adult experience of shul. So what does it mean now that shul is kind of canceled for a lot of people, not for everyone, but a right. lot of shul experiences are not there. Yes. And to, and to complicate that further, I think as a Shomer Shabbat family who is not getting on to Zoom for Shabbat, um, it's it's complicated even further. There have been times, I mean, the, the Chagim is one example, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, where like, we just don't turn on the, we, we don't, we just don't use technology on Shabbat. And, and it was at that point where I was like, I just am, I, I just am, <laughs> you know, it's, that's what it's going to be. Um, but on a regular basis, um, we, we don't. And so it's like, it's really canceled. We don't, we don't feel like, um, you know, it's the right thing for our family to say, we'll log on and, you know, go to this place. And, and part of me feels a little bit, um, sad about that. Like I, I, I wonder what it would be like. I kind of wish that it would be different. There was something really nice about, um, you know, Rosh Hashanah being like, where do I want to go to shul? Should I go to Rabbi Mu? Should I go to B'nai Jeshrin? Should I go to, you know, like it was kind of fun to, to get to um, hop around like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's complicated on an extra level to feel like, um, you know, the uh, being part of a community that is not going to use technology and also isn't going in person. I mean, I shouldn't say that there are, there have been, um, you know, in different forms, but the shoals in town have been doing in-person socially distanced um, davening experiences, uh, you know, for, for Shabbat and for holidays. And we haven't gone, um, we haven't been a part of it. And part of that, again, is like, you know, this this challenge of kids is like, it's a 20 minute walk and to shut people out of the house. It's like, it's still not easy. And you've got all the anxieties of COVID on top of things and a kid who's convinced that he's going to die if he leaves the front yard. And, um, you know, so I think we've, we felt that very deeply in the beginning as well, in particular, like, didn't matter if we were being told to stay home or not. Like, these, one of our kids in particular, like, was not going anywhere, did not matter. Um, you know, it, it took a lot of coaxing over the summer to get him to feel comfortable walking down the street uh, outside. So um, so I guess we haven't been overthinking it too much because everything is upside down. And, and I think we have a feeling that someday it's going to change <laughs> um, and things will open up again, despite the fact that it feels like things are never opening up again. Um I'm trying to remember that it was it was sort of like the the stage of having a newborn where, you know, I remember just really believing like, that's it. I'm never going to sleep through the night again. 
done. Like, not a chance. This is just, okay, this is what we're doing now. Um, and eventually they start sleeping. Um, so I, I think that's how I'm trying to think about this period of time and um, hoping that, um, I don't know, that that there will be a new infusion of um, energy and creativity when things open up again. It's really interesting. I'm trying not to put a judgment word on it, but I want to put a positive judgment word on it. If anything, it's really enlivening to hear you talk openly Mm -hmm. about how there's real mental health at play when it Mm -hmm. comes to the way that we choose to leave our homes or not these days when it comes to how you spend your Shabbat or not. I even hear a little bit of that in your expression of I I just am that person now on Mm -hmm. Yummy Mariam. I needed that knowing what you need for yourself. Um, and I know you spend a lot of time listening these days in that mental uh, health awareness, the the mental health in the Jewish community Facebook group, um, of which I I enjoy being a, a an en- engaged listener uh, reader. <laughs> what um what are you hearing in terms of of echoes or trends or stories that really stick with you that that open up uh, the places in you that need to think about this more deeply these days. Hmm. Um, specifically on the topic of, of mental health you're asking about? Yeah, in, in that yeah. community or in the, yeah. in the conversations that have been opened up by your hosting that group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what are you hearing from other people about some of the wrestling that they're doing in this time? Yeah. Um, you know, what's really interesting to me and my vantage point as uh, as the admin of that group is I, you know, there's, there's one question that people ask, have to answer to, to get into the group. Um, I don't want to just have it be open where anybody can add anybody else. And suddenly you've got people in the group who never wanted to be there in the first place. Um, the question is, why do you want to be part of this group? <laughs> like just answer something. Um, and there are a lot of people who are there for professional reasons and wanting to um, learn and share what they're doing on this topic um, there are a lot of people who are struggling with a lot of very real things. Um, and, and they share that, you know, in, in the reasons why they're joining people struggling with, um, substance abuse, with depression, with OCD, with eating disorders. I mean, the, the whole gamut, you name it for themselves, their family members, um, all kinds of, of people. And, and what I'm, struck by not shocked but i'm i'm struck actually by um the fact that the conversation in the group itself has not opened up in such a deep way that i i imagine or that i hope like i hope someday it will get there it's uh it's not there i get it right like um i'm actually part of a similar group um for Massachusetts parents with children with mental health needs. And it is like, everyone is just out there with everything. And it's been personally um, for our family, it's been such a help and such a support to um, ask questions about anybody know about this medication or what do you think about that hospital? Or can anybody recommend a therapist that does this because my kid did this again, can you believe it? You know, like all of that stuff. and um, and and we dealt with a lot of those questions specifically from a Jewish perspective. Um, our kids have been 
have been hospitalized. And, um, you know, we're, first first round of this going in was on Sukkot last year. And like, so all the questions of what do we do with Yuntif and, you know, driving on, on Sukkot and um, kosher food and like, just how do we navigate all of this? And that's that's part of what inspired, um, you know, myself to create this. But um, that was uh, something that I'm I'm hoping we'll get there um, because it's a Jewish community. It's uh, it's closer to home and people know each other and we're all family. And uh, sometimes with our family, we really put things out there and sometimes we really, really don't. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think we'll get there. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's just very real what everyone's dealing with. And I think it's, I guess the point of all of this is that I think it's uh, much more real than our wider public community is really getting um, or talking about or, or knowing how deep it really is. But um, I can, I, I know firsthand it is, it's there, it's real and it's happening. Yeah. And it, it, it's slow going to build that kind of sacred space um, yeah. o- online. Um, but it's a matter of that conversation opening up. The people are there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Have you found anything in COVID for your own family uh, that that became an opportunity to sort of invent in the narrow spaces, uh, g- given that you're stuck at home? Um, yeah. Is there anything that kind of helps with the joy or the health or the togetherness of your family now that you're in um, COVID zone? COVID land, yeah. Um, I, I think in a... Very slow way, yes. I, I have to believe yes. It is. Um, I remember thinking about this more at the beginning, like you know, maybe spending all this time together, we'll learn how to spend time together, and you know, really just have siblings prancing around and getting along together. And uh, you know, we're not there yet. I'll say, um, in some ways, it's certainly worse than when it started. But um, I do think that that it's. Um, it's changing the nature of our family, the dynamic in our family and what we do on um, Sundays. And I, I actually think because there's such an assumption that we're at home and this is just what we're doing, um, the kids have been a little bit easier to get off of screens, for example, on a Sunday where Sundays are the days that actually they have the least screens. I mean, aside from Shabbat, um, we turn it off in the morning and we don't let them turn it on back again until like late afternoon and prepping dinner and they kind of get it. And we're just hanging out together. Um, it's, you know, not so lovely in terms of like playing games and all, all that. But, um, I think that there's like, there's a little bit of, of a homier assumption for how our family works. I also think that, um, you know, we've, this is like a, maybe a silly little example, but, um, I feel like we've started to develop some, um, you know, Shabbat meal repertoire. Like these are the things that we like and that are kind of on repeat from time to time. And we're getting into a little bit of a, a ritual groove with that end of things. Um, you know, personally, I'll say that as as much as this time is just um, – you know, I'm ready for it to end months ago. Um, there is something that is nice about um, working from home and just 
coming down to the basement to work as opposed to sitting in the car for more than an hour to get to work and kind of going at an easier pace. Um, so I think that that has reverberations and, um, and, you know, the others probably have similar things. Do you find yourself talking to other people about how they're doing their Shabbat? Uh, you're the people who work with you or people who were a part of your Shabbat circuit before. Um, do you do you like exchange recipe advice or like how to survive <laughs> another Saturday with no screens? And oh, my gosh, thank goodness the clocks turned back. And uh, um, not so much, to be honest. I think that that's like there's a piece of there's a piece of the narrative of all of this that for us um, has converged together where we are a lot more separated from um, some of the people that uh, we had been in touch with, where there's, there's a communal aspect that's missing. Um, You know, and, and especially because, you know, once COVID started our, uh, our our kids had challenges before COVID started, don't get me wrong, but um, a lot of them got seriously exacerbated once this all started and um, the just the level of what we were dealing with with our kids was much, much worse. And where um, there was a point, I think, particularly earlier on in the summer, where it, it, to some extent it felt so good to go take a walk and run into people. And, you know, I remember the very beginning, I, you know, we walked out down the street after a couple of weeks of being at home. We were like, oh, you, you, look, it's a human. You know, it was like very exciting to see a human being that we knew. Um, after things got really hard, there was a time period where I felt like I, sh- I just can't actually deal with the small talk right now. I just, I, I felt like there was a shifting in, my identity and our family's identity of the things that we were dealing with and where, where things just felt really different. And, um, and I think it felt a little bit too liminal at that point um, where we hadn't yet come out on the other side. I think that that's subsided as, um, as we've been talking and sharing more about what's been going on and as things have opened up again and kids are getting back into school and um, that's been huge for us. So um, yeah, there's, there's an identity piece that I think has shifted during this time, but um, yeah, it's, it hasn't been as connected as, um, as maybe I imagine it is for other people. I don't know. Yeah, part part of what I hear you saying, especially in mentioning that Facebook group with the Massachusetts parents yeah. who are, are dealing with mental health issues with their children, is that there are a lot of places where there are gaps in the Jewish community dealing with uh, how to be supportive, um, either of another family who is also dealing with mental health issues in their mm-hmm. family, or uh, how just to be with community and have a, you know, big talk or not small talk, but mm-hmm. like, not just medium talk, mm-hmm. but like the big talk in yeah. in communities, and that part of your efforts have been trying to create that, but even that's not quite coming to fruition yet. And so maybe community is just shaped a little bit differently in this time because the stuff that you need isn't necessarily emanating out of the Jewish community. I, I really wrestle with that because both on a philosophical level and on an organizational level, I want the Jewish world to contain within it everything that I might need, particularly the big stuff, 
right? Mm-hmm. Particularly like stuff. And the idea that I can't find that space already existing at my shul, which I might rely on as my community, or worse, like anywhere in the Jewish mm-hmm. world, um, that's something I really wrestle with. I don't want to say that people should ever have to, quote unquote, go outside the Jewish world to get the things that they need. But I don't know how privileged or presumptuous that idea is because maybe it's possible like you I, i'm i'm uh, moved by what you said it's there's some things you can't talk about with family in the same way that you can talk about elsewhere so i kind of wanted to dig into that that idea with you especially since you run my um which yeah. tries to be a, a container yeah. to use word, word for these things do you think that the jewish community is is capable of holding all this stuff? Or maybe is there just some stuff that the Jewish community is not able to contain as fully within it as we need, especially on the big talk? Yeah. Oh, aspirationally, completely, 100%. Like, I, I actually have no doubt that um, with any of these topics that are the big ones, uh, that we we can get there. And, and I and I don't, you know, in some places, it feels like a really far reach, maybe from where we are now. But I also see a lot of really good work happening in the Jewish community in pockets all over the place. I think that there's a lot going on, on a very um, direct service, small, uh, I don't mean small, like not important, but um, on maybe micro communities kind of ways that have not broken into the mainstream uh, just yet. And, um, but I, I absolutely believe that we can and will get there. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm particularly inspired by our work at Mayim Chaim opening up the ritual of mikvah. Like, my God, if we can take this ritual, that's like probably has the most barriers to participation as any ritual in the Jewish community, like you, are going to some strange building and taking off your clothes and getting in the water. And there might be a stranger in the room with you. Like there are so many reasons to not <laughs> feel comfortable going in and doing that. And we've managed to open this up and help people understand that um, actually it can be a beautiful, meaningful, spiritual, personal experience and give you no matter who you are, exactly what you need in that moment. Um, and so I'm, I'm inspired by that as a baseline, knowing that, um, that we've done such important work in that arena, like, come on, we can do this for alcoholism or suicide or, you know, all those light topics, right? Like all of the heavy, really painful, challenging things, like, we we can do this. Like we're, we're smart people. (laughs) We can, we can put our heads together and pull some funding together and make real change. So yeah, we're not there yet. Um, We have a long way to go. And I also think like, again, inspired by our work at Mayim Chaim, there's a, there's a lot that um, I think if we, we, we come, you know, very much from a values perspective at Mayim Chaim. We've got seven principles that really guide just about everything that we do. And whenever there's a question, whenever there's a conflict, we always go to our values and say, okay, well, we care about, you know, Kali Israel, And so therefore we're going to this. We care about, uh, you know, the, the community of Israel. We're going to do this. Or Hidro Mitzvah, like Jewish life should be beautiful. So, 
okay, we're gonna we're gonna reprint the thing that came out messy because we believe in hedra mitzvah, right? So, um, it, you know, I I think that the values are there in our community, and we need to trust ourselves and and come back to our values to to be able to make decisions. And um, I think there are a lot of situations that are actually much clearer for how to handle in a way that will feel good and validating and welcoming to people than we currently um, really have set up for ourselves. But yeah, I I think we're going to get there. And in addition to your current role being an executive director, you also dropped that you helped to found an independent minion, right? That (laughs) you're one of the founders of Minion. So you know what it's like to create Jewish community from Mm -hmm. desire, but also from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, And looking at some of these gaps, thinking of COVID as a, as a palate cleansing time for communities Mm -hmm. to step back and see what it is they're doing right and what it is they're not doing. What are some of your wishes? What do you wish that synagogue life Mm -hmm. do a little bit better? They might be the same as what you've mentioned already, but I'm curious if there's more there. Um, I love the idea of a palate cleanser, such a positive spin on what we're all going through. And um, yeah, I mean, it it is an opportunity to take a step back and breathe. Um, You know, I'm for synagogues in particular, I hope that this time will, uh, will allow for an openness to possibilities and a really deep listening to our community. Um, And that's, by the way, our congregants and people who are not our congregants, um, but maybe might be in the future. And why aren't they coming? coming? Maybe there's a reason for that, that we can, if if we can really listen um, and engage, maybe we'll uncover that. You know, I hope that we start, um, you know, I I think that that, that all, serves for our clergy too. You know, clergy are, um, I am just in awe of the role that clergy play in our communities um, at all times. But my God, at this time, like none of, none of the clergy, I mean, not that I'm clergy, but um, you know, in my, my work at Mayim Chaim, like none of us were trained for any of this. We're, we're just we're making it up as we go along and we're doing the best that we can and using our judgment and our, our people to help us through. But um, I hope that we can all approach the future with a sense of really listening to our stakeholders, current and future, whoever they may be um, to really try to um, create something that is as welcoming as, as possible um, and a lot of that is has to do with hearing the hard things, um, hearing some of the reasons why people have been kept away, why people don't feel comfortable, don't feel welcome, um, and and like kind of being grateful for that data to say, wow, now we actually have the information that we can do something about it. That's great. So much better that we know that than to not know it to begin with. Um, so... I think that's a that's a high level hope that I have. Do you think there are things that synagogues could be doing, roles that synagogues could be playing right now that they're not? Things that you know, I appreciate the praise of clergy. That's great. <laughs> but but uh, in this time of of um, tremendous unease, is there something that synagogues yeah. clergy could be doing better? 
I'll tell you one thing that my current synagogue um, is in the process of doing that just feels so great. It's it's one of these things that's such a small thing, but it's such a big thing. Um, I got an email saying, um, you know, we know that you're a parent of young children and this must be a tough time uh, for, for, for the situation that you're in. And we have congregants who are empty nesters in our community who are looking uh, to do something and looking for connection. And they're interested in making a meal for your family if you'd like that. We're like, whoa, that's great. Yes, sign me up. I will take dinner home cooked by somebody other than you know, us. Um, and it, and it also said, if, you know, if you're interested in developing a relationship in a quasi grandparenting kind of role for your kids, they'd love that too. Just let us know. Like some of that communal matchmaking just felt brilliant to me. Um, it's, you know, it seems like such a no brainer. Um, it's something that clergy can organize to help support so many different people. Um, so I, I loved that. Uh, looking forward to getting my meal. I'm sure it will be delicious. And even if it's not, I didn't have to cook it. And I'll have to, you know, clean up the pots and pans. So it'll be great. That'd be a great tagline for a mediocre restaurant. Like it's yeah. it's not delicious, but at least you didn't have to cook it, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> And you're right about that kind of matchmaking, acknowledging different people's needs, because I imagine that there are other people who are combating a tremendous sense of yes. boredom, a sense of uselessness, yep. uh, and to be able to contribute to community to that kind of matchmaking matters. Yes. And and I love, again, like a, a lot of my work is with clergy. And so I, I resonate, you know, I like I, I uh, my heart goes out to the clergy, but um, it also is... Um, seems like such a good use of leadership because it's helping to create a system that does not all rise and fall on the shoulders of one person. Um, we at, at Mayim Chaim, our, our whole system is set up on volunteers and it's, it's very, um, it's very intentional that we don't have one staff person who runs the mikvah for lots of reasons. Um, but it helps really engage the community. And, it, uh, you know, w one of the best results of that model is that we have, I mean, we've trained, I think, more than 200 volunteer mikvah guides at this point. And um, all of those people have families and friends and connections. And it just, it, it helps strengthen the community as a whole. And so um, great that all of these people are going to make meals and, and get meals, but it really is strengthening the community um, in a way that the, the rabbi or the cantor can can sort of hold the strings up uh, to make it all happen without cooking 40 meals themselves. I don't think that, that people, wouldn't be good to use. Yeah, I don't think I think my I think people would say about my food. It was OK, but at least I didn't have to cook it. Um, Great. You can cook me a meal anytime. I definitely would be on the recipient end of that okay. endeavor. Um what are you um what are you seeing in terms of uh well backing up a step Maim Chaim, it's it's reopened um and and I wasn't I know it wasn't open um for this entire uh covid window um I have my ear to the door on on lots of the uh you know should we mikvah should we not mikvah conversations throughout this era um I'm curious if you heard about any sense of ritual invention that happened for people who 
didn't have their Mayim Chaim. They didn't have their mikvah. They couldn't get there. Um, have you heard any stories that have really stuck with you about what people are doing or what they were craving or that first dip back that are that are just, I don't know, shiny examples to you of, of, um, of meaning making at this time? I do. My youngest child just came home from school. And so I'm going to just cut in for a second to say, yep. I'm sorry for background noise. You can cut this no, part out, but no problem. It's, oh, it's real life. Oh, cool. It is. Yeah. It's real life. We've got a whole. Yeah. Everybody's here. Um, oh, Jonah, that's awesome. Yeah. I am um, recording something right now. So can you ask Abba for help? Cool. Thanks. Okay. The dog's here. Everybody's here. It's very oh my gosh. Bringing the chickens. It's a whole um, Yeah. Chickens are staying outside. So oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. Um, I do. So let me, let me pause until I don't want to start talking and make the editing process too hard. It's, it's all good. It's okay. All right. Um, so, hey, Jonah, Jonah, can you try to whisper? Okay. So um, there's been a lot of creativity that's come out of this time in particular. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm actually most excited about just, you know, personally is that um, we were clearly we were forced into this place of um, mikvah not exactly being something that you can transfer so easily to Zoom um, in the, you know, as the whole world was saying, like, how do we, you know, translate this to Zoom? Like, you just really can't with a mikvah. Um, so that forced a lot of creativity. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, we, we uh, explored a lot and connected with a lot of um, people and scholars who were who were asking the same questions and doing research and looking at our texts to say like well, how does this work and what is the leeway, and um, you know I would have been the first person to say you know before all this like you can't have you know an immersion in a mikvah in a bathtub or a shower like it, it that is not how it works and here's why and I could have like backed up you know the text about how a mikvah is supposed to be built of um, that's just not. Uh, it, it, we just can't do that. Um, and actually, um, you know, thank God for people who, who do this as their life's work. Um, once we started looking deeper into things, we discovered that actually there's a category for this time of life and, um, and there, we can look at how the flow of the water goes through the pipes and like, and how big is the bathtub and, and finding all of these places where actually, um, in times of uh, great need, uh, such as uh, something like this, it might actually be possible to have a kosher immersion in a bathtub or in a shower. Um, and that was just fast. Like I, I always love when something gets turned on its head in my mind, when I, I realized that I had been looking at something from one perspective the whole way through. And now all of a sudden, like, whoa, I didn't see that. Um, so that was really exciting to, to see and to learn. And so um, we shared a lot of that out with our community. We, we taught, we, um, we also did some, uh, some work sharing, uh, teaching on, online, did some webinars around creating a, um, a ritual hand-washing experience at home, called it Mikvah to Go. Um, how do you, uh, how do you do something like this if you want to go to a lake or um, something like that? Um, you know, there was uh, one one woman who told us about an experience that 
that she had when she had just stopped going to the mikvah when COVID started, um, was just like, I, I can't, you know, kind of how, how I was on Rosh Hashanah when I was like, I, I just, I just can't not go to Shul and do anything. She's like, I, I just can't go to the mikvah. Um, and then, um, after we, we led some of these teachings, she decided to bring a friend with her to a lake and she, you know, this isn't one of the people who's like, I love water and the natural, like, she was like, get me in, get me out. And this was not her thing. Um, and she talked about just how incredibly meaningful and empowering it was and how um, she came out of, out of the water and two texts, uh, you know, one from her kid who was like, everything is terrible. And why aren't you here? another one from her husband saying you're amazing by the way um and so that's like that's how life is right now it's it's amazing and it's terrible and it's all wrapped up in one and um you know so i, I think the the creativity that a lot of this has um has forced is uh it's kind of like similar to what i'm imagining as it relates to synagogues as well yeah it, what it what it makes me think is uh how much we turn to sources external to ourselves to get a sense of what is authentic and right, mm -hmm. particularly for people who rely on the idea of a halachic system, that there's mm -hmm. a set of rabbinic voices that can guide our lives. You know, what? who's going to come and tell us that we are or are not supposed to turn that screen on, on Rosh Hashanah? Who's going to come and tell us not to stand beneath a running shower at a certain mm -hmm. temperature because we read Haviva's Nair David's article and we thought that it was compelling and yeah. well, you know <laughs> read, read them all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and who's to to say that those of us who hold some of these things really precious um, are willing to give them up, knowing that there's a fear there that if we give permission to ourselves or to other people to do otherwise, that there's something precious lost, even if it's our own identity in it. I am a person who doesn't watch screens on these mm -hmm. holidays. Mm -hmm. Now there's an asterisk on that. Uh, and I, I remember conversations, not fearful, it's the wrong word, but definitely with a, a questioning concern of if we give people permission, if they know, even though we know that it's a pandemic uh, uh, stamp of approval, mm -hmm. if we give them permission to make these ritual innovations and create a container of sanctity in their bathroom at home, will they come back? Mm -hmm. Coming to the question, the core question uh, um, uh, of right. this conversation, right? Will, will they come back? So if I make that exception for myself, um, I don't know, for, for me, my answer to this, and I'd love to know your answer to this, yeah. my answer to this is, uh, it, it comes down to my accepting what a tremendously traumatic time it is right now. Right? When people say this is sha'ata, that this is like a, mm -hmm. an hour of, of uh, unlike anything else, right? True crisis. Yeah. Well, that requires me accepting that this is an hour of true crisis to buy into <laughs> yeah. the fact that it's okay to take a mikvah yeah, wow. dip in my shower. And so I wrestle with that. And I wonder, um, for you, do, do you worry about the identity either on a personal level or, or communally when you think about Mayim Chaim that, that there will be what not to come back to? Yeah, we, we talked about this, you know, is it, is it going to undermine our work if we share this? And I, I was never concerned about that, to be honest. I, I felt like, you know, if people are not going to come back because of that, 
we've got bigger issues to figure out and um, we're, we're not doing something right if that's the case. So let's keep innovating and let's keep looking at what, you know, if, if we believe that we offer something important and meaningful, then let's keep working on it. Let's keep working on, you know, is that really true? Is it really compelling and meaningful? How are we communicating it to people? Like what are the reasons why people might not be coming back? Um, and I don't think we really know yet, to be honest. I mean, we're we're open now on such a limited basis because of COVID um, and everything that goes along with it um, that I don't think we really know just yet. Are we, you know, when when this is over, um, will we see the numbers that we saw before? I, I always felt like, you know what, actually, after this, people are going to get it a lot more <laughs> about what is a mikvah and like why why it might be needed. So, you know, I think all the more so if if we're going to say, you want to do this in your shower, do this in your shower. Then maybe you want to come see what it's like in a building. Um, and so I, I think it just, you know, we need to, um, I, I certainly don't want to withhold a an option for someone because I think it's not in their best interest. And, and I think that, it's not the right choice for them. Like, who am I? <laughs> um, I, you know, they need to make that decision for themselves. Um, so I'm, I'm not worried about it. If anything, I think, uh, you know, it, it, this goes back to our ancient texts of um, being separated from the community, right? Going outside of the camp and then needing to wash in water before you returned. I think, you know, when this first started, I think we imagined, we all imagined like, okay, this is going to be a couple weeks, a month, uh, you know, something, and then poof, it's going to be over. We're going to have a ritual of, uh, of uh, re-entry to the community and, you know, won't be great to put this all behind us. Um, and someday, you know, hopefully we'll still, we'll still get there, but it's, it's not going to be that poof moment. Um, so I, if anything, I, I think that if we, if we keep listening to our community and um, connecting with them and going with the flow that, uh, that exists, it's, it's going to mean that we have something relevant for people to come back to. It's really resonating with me to talk about the return to ritual and the return to community not happening in a poof. Um, Cause we're sitting here having a conversation about, you know, 56 hours after polls closed in our country. And mm -hmm. I think that even those people who accept that we've never had a, a clear answer by the end of election night, even that category of people. And I, I like to think I fall in that category of people. There's a real, are we there yet feeling, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I'm missing the catharsis of, of a of a check mark of a of a stamp of a mm -hmm. this is it and and a, a cutting of a ribbon to come back. Instead, it's a it's a trickle, um, and I think you're right that that is what the return to Jewish communal life is going to be like as a trickle. So mm -hmm. I don't know what are the first things that you're not doing now that you're looking forward to coming back to, if at all. Um, I do hope that by Purim, we're able to open up. I mean, Purim is like my, uh, my shining moment. I take Purim costumes very seriously. So that was, you know, like we felt that last year as one of the last things we were probably going to do for a while. And so, um, that, that felt, uh, 
we were feeling it in that moment, certainly at that point. Um, so, so that I'm looking forward to a return of Purim. Um, you know, I realized the other day when I was on uh, Trua's Tikkun Leil election that they did on, mm-hmm. on election night after, I don't remember whose session it was, but there was something that was just so beautiful and um, a, a musical a piece. And, and I realized like, wow, this would be the moment where everyone would just be in applause together, like clapping loudly. And I realized how long it's been since I've heard applause. And that was, that was wild to me. I was like, I, I think it's been, I don't know, like we're approaching a year since I've been in a room with many people and heard them all clap together and just that sense of energy. So I, I think there's, there's an element of that that I'm really looking forward to um, feeling the presence of other people in a space. Um, I, I think that's why um, so many people get so sucked into Facebook and other things like that is like, it is community. Um, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons why it's like not ideal community. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a way of connecting. And so um, there is, there is a communal element that I'm, you know, very much looking forward to getting back to. Mm, the sound of applause is a really good yeah. marker for that. Yeah, I've missed it. Yeah. Uh, do you already know what the Purim costumes are? Is this already planned in November? Uh, well, I mean, usually, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, usually I have a good inkling of like, if it's if it's August and I don't really know, then I start getting nervous. But um, I'm, I'm holding off now. Like, is this is this going to be a Zoom display? You know, it's like, a, is this a computer display? Is this in person? So I, I need to I need to know the parameters first, I think, before I work too hard on that. <laughs> Uh, I, I too, am looking forward to seeing what Purim might bring this year and yeah. also to those strange feeling that we kind of have approached Purim from a pandemic perspective before, at mm. least we did on the West Coast. It was already a bit mm. modified. Um, what is that going to mean to be able to actually learn from this experience? It's, it does feel that we're inventing everything as we're going along, as you said. But can you imagine lapping ourselves on a year <laughs> of this and actually yeah. having a model for a Pesach yeah. Seder. How did we do it last time? Yeah. Right. Um, right. I've missed that feeling. <laughs> How did we do that Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that's true. That will be nice. Um, yeah, I had um, I had a mentor of mine, Leslie Littman, who um, was was a mentor of mine in my my first job out of college. And um, I, was, I was the youth director at Temple Israel in Boston. And she said to me, you know, if you can stay in a job for three years, that's when you really start seeing the, the payoff of your work. Because the first time around, you're just getting to know everything. And, you know, it's like the first time you've done everything. And then the second time there's a pattern. Um, and then the third year is when you can really do something. And please God, like there's, I mean, there's no way we're going to be in this for three years. Right. But, but I do think that there's something to draw on from that, which is to say, um, I think that there are a lot of things that, that many of us would hope will continue even after this is over. And, um, you know, I think year two, certainly even more so year three, there will be things that we'll be able to, um, really learn from and, um, and take forward. You know, I, I think a lot of what we have been able to do on, uh, on Zoom electronically, like there's no doubt that there are people who 
um, would not otherwise physically walk into a building and are able to participate in things now. So great. Like, let's continue that. That's really exciting. Um, and I, I think that there will be a lot of things like that. That's a great point. It is definitely giving equity of access to a lot of people, at mm. least opening doors to the idea that people might, quote unquote, walk into your organization, even though they're not walking in, lowers the barrier. I also mm -hmm. think that up until this time, kind of like those thinking about those first three years where you're in a place, uh, that there's a honeymoon there, and that I feel there's a lot of forgiveness present. Mm at every program and every service, everyone mm -hmm. says, well, it wasn't perfect, but at least I didn't have to cook right. it or whatever, yeah. you know, that the version <laughs> yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 it wasn't perfect, but they, but they're all flying by the seat of their pants. They're all, you know, doing this as best as they possibly can. So there's a great right. generosity of spirit there. Yeah. Um, I, I do worry about when that, you know, wanes a little bit. And that's often my hope that people who are participants in the Jewish community um, can hold on to that to that feeling while still moving into the zone of this isn't brand, brand new. I think that's totally great. Yes. I, I really agree with that. That resonates. Uh, you've been doing some writing in this time. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you for a moment what it feels like, um, what it feels like to write about, um, about your experiences, particularly your experiences as a surrogate and, um, if, if what it's like to be a writer in this time, and if this time is impacting you in the way that you're reflective. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, there's a, a total conundrum of it all. Um, when it feels like there's just so much content and so much new and uh, so much to comment on and the capacity for doing so is like so much lower. Um, it, it, it feels more settled now, but certainly um, in the, the spring and the summer when everything was turning upside down, like, you know, I, there were multiple articles that I wanted to write and like, just wasn't going to happen um, dealing with everything um, that, that was going on. Um, so that's, uh, that's just a conundrum. Um, but I also think that, um, you know, for myself, I've been, I've been doing, uh, I, I find, I find that writing helps me see the world in a more intentional kind of way. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm working on an essay right now that's going to be published in an anthology, um, on reproductive freedom in, uh, the fall of 2021, um, and uh, it's going to be edited by Shelley Oria, who um, who edited uh, Indelible and Hippocampus uh, a few years ago. And it's it's certainly wild to see what's going on in our country right now uh, in the topic of reproductive freedom. Um, this, you know, my essay is going to be on the topic of my surrogacy and um, thinking about a a woman's right to choose and uh, decisions that we make uh, when it comes to choosing to have a baby for somebody else. Um, but it's, it's a little wild to see what's, what's going on and how that is all fitting together. So there's, there's an intentionality um, for me that, that exists when, when doing this kind of work. 
Yeah, it's definitely a time to focus on what um, what's happening in our country because our windows to the world are news sources and networks. And so it's a lot of time taking in what's going on out there. I, I imagine that informs a lot. Um, I wanted to ask a, a final question, um, which is really getting to the core of why I asked you to be here. Um, you already answered what you're looking forward to coming back to uh, Purim, applause and all that. Um, do you think that your community is going to come back together in uh, in the same way? And when we get to that point in the trickle where we can all be back together, what are you most looking forward to? And what are you worried will be hard to reform um, mm-hmm. in a coming back together? It's a great question. Uh, and it's funny when you said your community, I'm trying to figure out who is my community. You know, there, there are so many different communities. Um, I know that there are um, certain certain communities of mine that I am desperate to get back to. You know, my, my friends from Eisner Camp and I would get together in the bar once a year in New York, you know, like something like that. I am dying to do that and, and get together with that community that I've known since I was eight years old. Um, you know, I, my, my community at Mayim Chaim, the, the staff and the volunteer mikvah guides and our board members and our volunteers. I mean, it's, there have been times where I've been on zoom with people all at once and like we see each other's faces and it's like, Oh, you're still out there. You're still a real person. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to that. And I, it's, it's interesting actually, because both of these communities that I'm mentioning are diffuse kinds of communities. They're people who, come together and then they go their own ways and um, they're, they are not the synagogue community where I think there's an assumption that it's like the same group of people all the time because this is who we are. Um, uh, that's, I don't know, I guess it was, um, we never, it's been a long time since we've felt that kind of communal home anyway. Um, I am certainly looking forward to Rosh Hashanah 2021 at Washington Square Minion. I will be there if COVID doesn't exist anymore. Um, and even though I, I don't know most of the people there anymore, there, there are some and um, are, you know, we have friends who all, all converge there together for the experience. It's really tremendous. It's, it's like nothing else. Um, but it, it's almost like it doesn't matter that we don't know so many people there anymore because it is... Um, it feels like it's my community, even though I don't know who these people are. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's why it speaks to us so much. Um, you know, the, it's, it's just an incredible experience of, you know, being spirited and singing and, and people who really want to be there and who are intelligent and thoughtful and are intentional about what they're doing. And those are the kinds of people that, that I'm jazzed by. Um, even if I don't, know who you are and what your story is like if you're there that day we probably have that in common and so therefore I like you (laughs) um so I'm I'm looking to get back to that I'm really deeply moved and and I think it's a wonderful note for us to wrap on that Mm -hmm. the idea that we could 
the, the idea that we could create communities that are so authentic to themselves and so mm-hmm. values driven and consistent in what they deliver spiritually, that it's mm-hmm. okay if it, there are different faces in the room when yeah. we come back, COVID or no COVID. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's a wonderful insight that there are places that are home to you, not just because of the people. Um, and I think that that is a really sweet way to think about community building as well, because I would never want a spiritual community to be afraid that welcoming more people into their fold would change them mm. so mm-hmm. deeply that we would be afraid to be welcoming, right? To want to be the kind of independent minion where it's so insular that you'd rather, you know, shrink shrink to nothing with on on a or you know be on a lifeboat with your friends, right? Than yeah. uh, to have created such a dynamic and authentic space that whoever is there, they must, they must be your kind of people. And right, I'm really right. moved by that, that insight, Carrie. And I want to say thank you for opening up professionally and personally, and for talking about what it's going to be like when someday we come back. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Are You Coming Back? Do you have someone you'd like to recommend for a conversation like this one? Someone who might have a fascinating personal perspective on returning to Jewish rhythms beyond the pandemic. Reach out to us at hchorney at tbala.org.